Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. I hope you guys uh, have really been pressing into this Advent season. I hope that you've really been um, thinking through Uh, these days of Advent, these days of waiting in anticipation for the Lord, um, I think it's beautiful for us to reflect on the hope, the the peace, the joy, and the love of of Jesus Christ in this season. It really changes things when we do that, right? It really changes this time. The atmosphere changes when we really think of the Lord and think of why we celebrate Christmas. When we don't, when we get distracted and just focus on the hustle and bustle of getting Christmas presents and doing all the things and jingle bells, right? It kind of gets stressful. So I'm hoping that today you get a little uh, breath of fresh air, a little, a little peace, you know, a little calm to the busyness of this season. Um, and so we're going to continue in our series, our Christmas series that we've been doing here, our Advent series that we titled Beholding Christ in Isaiah. And I think personally, I've I, I just have been enjoying this this time in the book of Isaiah, and to me it's just mind-blowing that Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, knew so much about him, <laughs> right? The Lord revealed so much to Isaiah about Jesus, and to me that's just so amazing, so wonderful, so encouraging. It really bolsters up my faith. My faith. And so we started in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. For those of you who weren't here, we started there. And we focused on the hope, hope against hope, actually. And the prophet Isaiah speaks of one who would descend from Jesse. Uh, in fact, it's, it's, it said a, a, a uh, shoot from the stump of Jesse, one who would one day turn everything around for the better, a source of hope, but not just a hope as a wishful thought, uh, hope as a promise, you know. And we talked about how um, a promise is only as good as the one who promises it, right? But this promise of hope comes from the Lord. And today, we don't just hope on that promise to be fulfilled because that promise has, in fact, been fulfilled already in the birth of Jesus Christ and his ministry. But we still wait in anticipation. We still are hopeful for his return. It's the now and not yet. Uh, And then we looked in Isaiah chapter 9. We kind of backtracked a little bit there in the book of Isaiah. And we saw a promise for peace as well. Okay, so there's a promise for hope. There's a promise for peace. God shows Isaiah that a child would be born in this chapter, and he's named a prince of peace whose reign would last forever. A promise that has been fulfilled again in the birth of Jesus Christ. And we still hold on to the promise of his return. And in that, there is peace. Knowing that Christ Uh, has come. He has fulfilled the mission that he was called to do. Remember when he hung on the cross, there were seven sayings, final sayings in Jesus's life before he died. And one of them was, it is finished. And so that provides a sense of peace, knowing that our sin has been dealt with, that we are now justified. We are no longer guilty uh, as far as God's concerned. And there's no greater peace than to know that. 
Um, and then last week, if you weren't here last week, we had an awesome sermon, sermon on, on joy um, uh, through, through Weston. It was awesome. There's this, there's this beautiful song that um, has a line. In fact, I was, I was thinking yesterday, and we have this song printed on some of the Christmas decor that we have. And this, I read this line, and I wanted to share it. Let's see if you guys know what song this is. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And I thought of Weston's sermon. You know, I thought, wow, a thrill of hope. Hope, what do you mean a thrill of hope? Jesus, right? This message of the, the Messiah that's coming, and I get this picture of the shepherds who see this host of angels, and I can only imagine their reaction, right? But definitely that world, the word thrill is so appropriate. Thinking, wow, that's something that causes me. It's like a launch pad to rejoice, to rejoicing to this full joy. And Weston did such a great job because it says the weary world rejoices. He talked about how the world was just so, uh, it was, it was, it's longing for healing, for the Lord's coming, right? For it to be redeemed from the fall. That also what it was affected uh, by. And so Weston did a great job in just explaining why we ought to rejoice. You know, it's something we should do. We have to do it. God commands us to do that because we have reason for it. And it's, it's a joy that's transforming. It's a joy uh, that's uh, just reflected in the work of Jesus as well. And it's beautiful. And I love the way that he articulated this. And I'm just going to remind you of what he said. We have reason to, reason to rejoice regardless of our happenings because happiness isn't happenings, but joy is in Jesus, you know? And that's so true. It's so true is that we confuse this joy with happiness, but joy, it's there. And we have reason to rejoice always, regardless of what's going on around us. And the reason is Jesus Christ. And for those who have known him, who have received this beautiful gift, wow, there's truly a full sense of hope. There's truly reason to have peace and reason to rejoice. And so today we continue our Advent series. And before I jump into it, I kind of just want to remind you of this passage in Galatians 5.22. Most of us are familiar with this. Galatians 5.22, what's on there? The fruit of the Spirit. Right on. Can we get a sticker for her? She's on it. All right. That's right. Galatians 22. I'll put it up there. There's the fruit of the Spirit. And this passage tells us that the peace that we're talking about, the joy that we're talking about, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Along with patience, what else do you see there? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. But it begins with what? Love, right? And it doesn't just begin with love. It's as if this cluster of fruit, if you can just imagine this fruit of the Spirit being a cluster of fruit, it's, it's as though love is actually what holds it all together. You know, because I'd say that you can argue that all of these are a sense of love, an expression of love, if you would. In fact, someone said, I, I wish I could tell you who, because it's, it's beautiful, beautifully said. I'm, I'm going to share it with you. Someone has said that all other aid can be put in terms of love. For example, joy is love exalting. Think about that. Joy is love exalting. It's a celebration of the love that we have. That's joy. That's reason to rejoice, right? Peace, 
love and repose or at rest. All right? Patience is love on trial. Ooh. Kindness is love in society. Goodness is love in action. Faithfulness is love in the battlefield. Gentleness is love at school or in moments of teaching others, right? Patience, faithfulness is required. Gentleness is required. Self-control is love in training. It's in moments of our learning. So all of these stem from love. All the way at the top, love at the bottom, and all the way down the list of graces that we see there. Love is the first thing, right? And Paul actually argues that it's the greatest of these, love. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the love of Jesus Christ. As we continue to reflect this Advent season, you know, let's press in on the love. This is the final of the four. We saw hope. We saw peace. We saw joy. And now we're going to wrap it up with love. And then we will celebrate the coming of Christ on Christmas Eve. We'll call that presence. Okay. And so I'd like to show you the love of God as we behold Christ in Isaiah. I'm going to invite you to go to Isaiah chapter 54 today. Now, this one was tough for me because there's so many passages in Isaiah about the love of God, right? And, and so many that reflect it clearly, you know, to Jesus Christ. But I chose this one because this one really just hit me differently. And I want to share that with you. And as we read this, I want you to look for a few things. Um, and then I'll outline here in a second, but we're going to see that love here is expressed by God in several ways. It's expressed with justice, with compassion, it's redemption, and it is also eternal. So let's read that together and then we'll point those out. It says this in Isaiah chapter 54. I'm going to focus on verse 4 through 10. And it says this, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time that we're able to gather and just remember the coming, Lord Jesus, of Christ. The time, the day, Lord, that you came in the flesh and changed everything. We just ask that you would speak to us through your word today, Father, that it would not go void, but that we would be filled by it, Lord Jesus, transformed by it. 
And Lord, that we would also be able to be a part of this changing message, Lord, that people need, people crave, Lord. Help us be diligent. Help us be faithful as you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this passage, we see that the love of God is expressed with justice. I hope that you saw a little bit of the justice that comes from God. And sometimes we wonder, how is that loving? We'll talk about that. His love is also compassionate. He said several times, I will have compassion on you. His love is redeeming and God's love is eternal. Uh, let's look at the first one. God's justice is loving. All right, let's look at verse four. Verse four says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will... Uh, not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. And then if we fast forward uh, towards the end of verse 6 there in 8, it says, Like a wife of youth, when she is cast off, says your God, for a brief moment I deserted you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. See, these are, this is words of judgment. This is because the Lord has judged Israel. He is bringing justice over this land. You know, we've kind of just to recap what the book of Isaiah is about. Isaiah was a prophet who served, you know, 700 years before Jesus Christ in the time of prophets and kings, right? And the kings of Israel were forgetting the Lord. They were really stepping aside of his will from his will. And there were being people that were almost unbeknown to God. It's like, why are you behaving the way that you're behaving? It's so far from what I've instructed you. And so the Lord takes note of that and he sends Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, you need to tell him this message because I am going to bring justice to them. And the justice was going to be served in the way that Israel's enemies would be risen. They would be allowed to be made great like the Assyrians, like the Babylonians. And the Lord would allow Israel's enemies to overtake them and to exile them. And we'd see that that actually happens. And so the question is, how can God be loving if in, in his justice, right? And being just. And so many people have wondered. I've wondered that, you know, uh, you know, as a pastor, I get the privilege of answering questions through conversations with people. Some people have some pretty good questions like, how can, how can God allow such things, you know? such terrible things. For example, when Adam and Eve sinned, he was just in removing them from the garden. But that sounds mean. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound loving. You know, when Cain um, slayed his brother uh, Abel, he put a mark on his head and he outcasted him. And it's a form of justice for what was done. How is that loving? Have you ever wondered that? You know, in the time of the great flood, there was not one righteous, per one righteous person in the land. Everyone was completely overcome with sin except for Noah and his family. The Lord had compassion on Noah and his family. And, and he exercised judgment on the entire world. How was that loving? It meant the death of so many people, millions of people, millions of animals, right? But this is God's expression of love, is justice. It's like, how does that work? Well, think about it. How many times have you told your child, I discipline you because I love you? Have you ever said that to them, right? You have to be grounded because we have ground rules. And if you break them, there's consequences to this. Why do that? How could we be so unloving to discipline our children that way, right? You may think, children may think at the time. But that in itself is an act of love. Think about government systems. Right? They set up judicial systems for the love of the people and the love of country. 
Without a judicial system, what do you have? You have chaos, you have disorder, you have destruction, you have no means of bringing tranquility and peace in the land. And so to be just, to exercise judgment, to be just, you know, is an act of kindness. And I mean justice in its purest form, not injustice. For sometimes injustice is confused or labeled justice, right? But God being God, creator of everything, flawless, pure, perfect, his justice is perfect. And his justice is loving and it is complete and it is whole and it is actually for the good of those who love him and to his glory. And so God shows judgment to Israel. He actually allows them to, to go through the consequences through these moments of tribulation because he's cleansing them. You see, without justice, there's no justification. Do you see that? And to be justified is one of the greatest gifts that anybody could have. You know, justification is so important. When we're saved, we are justified. That means that the things that we were guilty about are no longer the things that we need to be condemned for because they have been forgiven, they have been addressed, not just ignored. It's one thing to ignore something and brush it under the rug. No, it was dealt with, you know, and you have received the pardon. You've been justified. This is an expression of love. You know, there's just so many passages in where we see the Lord's compassion and love through us, through his judgment, through him being just. Look at Psalm chapter 89, 14. This is in regards to God's character. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love, faithfulness go before you. See, justice, righteousness, steadfast love, they're the same, right? It's, it is God's character. Yes, God's justice is loving. And we see that with Israel. And we see that even in the world today, right? And this is why Jesus, the coming of Jesus in the flesh is such a big deal. Folks, I need you to really understand this. I'm hoping that it hits you the way it's hit me. You know, judgment needed to happen. The wages of sin is death, right? And so if we have sinned, something needs to die. This is why Israel had to bring a sacrifice every year to atone for their sins. They had to bring an animal without stain, without blemish. And that animal had to die because we sinned, because people sinned. That's the way it worked. That's the only way you could be pardoned. And it only would be good for a moment, right? It wasn't a permanent solution. And so what could really justify or satisfy the Lord's wrath against sin, an atoning sacrifice. And it had to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. These animals weren't perfect. Nobody could die for you here in this world because they would ultimately just be paying for their own sin, right? And so God made a way in that he sent his beloved son, you know, to die for us so that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But here's the thing. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh Merry Christmas, guys. Think about this. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh meant that now God, this perfect being, was now capable of dying. Because how can you kill God? Impossible. But once he took on flesh, there's a flesh that can be killed. There's a flesh that now can be taken to the slaughter, right? And if you really understand the ramifications of Jesus' coming, this blows your socks off, you know? And so in his 
just being, being God who he is, knowing that justice is important, it is loving, he makes a way that we would be justified. And justification is this, it's the remission of sin. It's the absolution from guilt and punishment because Jesus came in the flesh, he was able to be sacrificed and he was able to bring remission to the sin. And now his righteousness has been counted onto you. Okay, so that's God's loving justice right there. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That is love. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh so that he could die for you so that he could appease the Lord's wrath, right, against sin, so that justice could be served? Do you not see the love of God in that, right? And so his love is expressed through judgment, through justice. And in Romans, I think Paul, the greatest theologian, in my opinion, of all time, right, explains this quite well. So he can explain it for us, but sometimes it's hard for us to understand it, right? But he explains this in Romans chapter 3, 23, through 26, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is an atoning sacrifice, by his blood to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance or delay of punishment, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the fact that judgment has been served was an act of, is a gift, an act of grace, you know? So I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you. You know, you got an awesome gift in Jesus Christ. And so without God's judgment or without God's justice, no one could be justified. This is a absolute true expression most full and beautiful expression of God's love. So justice is God's love. The second thing that I want to show you through this passage here, it's God's compassionate love. Look at verse 7 through 10. Verse 7 through 10, he says, you know, he had said, you know, for a brief moment, I deserted you. But then he says, but I will gather you. I will have great compassion and I will gather you. And we're flowing angry, anger for a moment. I hid my face. But with everlasting love. I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Oh, yeah. He turned his face from us for a little bit, from Israel in particular, because the enemies are going to exile them and overcome them. And then if you think of Jesus in the cross, this was also expressed there. Remember when Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? It is the moment that God turned his back on that because he was overwhelmed with the sin of the world. You know, he turned for a moment, he, he deserted him. He turned his back on him, on the sin of the world. But then he had compassion, right? Then he comes back and he comes in with such a redeeming arm. And I just love this because this is a true expression of the Lord's love for us. Compassion is a suffering with another, painful sympathy. And I don't think anybody has had more compassion on us than Jesus Christ because he didn't just feel for us. He actually took it for us. He had the ultimate compassion for us. Look at what Matthew 9, 36 says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were like, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So how did Jesus show compassion? 
How did he share it? This is something that we ought to do. He was kind to them. He was tenderhearted and forgiving. Psalm 103.13 says, A father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Huh. The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Think of Noah and the time of the flood. Right? No one received the Lord's compassion except for Noah because Noah feared him. But here's something interesting. Noah feared the Lord because the Lord had compassion with him. Think about that. The Lord had enough compassion to Noah that Noah was able to see and fear him and speak and listen to him, right? And so the Lord responded with compassion and a way of salvation. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a gift in itself? And, and the Lord, you can read this in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, that God used Noah to preserve life during the great flood. This analogy that's used here in Isaiah by Isaiah you know, involves both God's just requirement to punish human wickedness, as he did in the flood, and there's also this assurance of future grace and restoration after the flood. This is compassion right here. God could have just wiped it off, and he still would have been great. He still would have been good. He, he didn't have to have compassion. He still would have been perfect, you know? But the fact that he showed compassion to us is, is just a beautiful gift to us. So once again, Merry Christmas. You have a great gift in Jesus Christ. Next thing I want to share with you, you know, it's because God's loving justice, there's justification. We saw that. Because of God's compassion, there's love for us, right? And because of his compassion, there's also redemption for us. And that's the next thing. God's redeeming love. Look at uh, verse 5 here really quick. It says, for your maker is your husband. Now, this is alluding a lot to what happened in in the book of Hosea. I don't know if you uh, have read Hosea, but your maker is your husband. You know, this is in regards to Israel's shame and widowhood. He's saying your maker's husband, they're being redeemed from that. What do I mean by Israel's shame and widowhood? When they forgot the Lord, it was like being unfaithful to the husband because Israel was, was described as the bride, right? And Christ and the Lord as the groom. And so the moment that they forgot Christ, the moment that they forgot God, they behaved as if they were unfaithful, as an adulterous wife. And so the Lord departs from them for a little bit and he, he pours his justice over them, but then he redeems them in his love. You know, we have this beautiful picture in the, in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 2, 7, we read of this adulterous bride. It says, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it is better for me than now. What is that talking about? This is like us. You know, we're constantly looking for things to satisfy us. We're constantly getting away from the Lord's presence, thinking that we can find something more immediate or better even, just to find out that everything's empty and void. Right. And so he redeems us. Isn't that such a loving thing that the Lord would take us back, even though we're as an adulterous wife? Like that's there is no greater love than that. And it's beautifully exemplified here in Hosea. And then if you continue reading in Hosea chapter 14, 4, there's this promise from the Lord. And I want to share it with you. It says, I will heal, heal their apostasy. I will love them freely <clears throat> for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. Now, this is where this connects to what Weston was teaching about last week. So beautiful. 
beautifully. So there's a reason to rejoice, a reason to have hope, a reason to just enjoy the Lord's peace because of his promises. He says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily, which is also like the crocus. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Those are cedars, right? So the Lord's promises stands true even here now. It's a redeeming love that he expresses. And all of this, all of this is able... It is able to be fulfilled only through Christ Jesus. And so when Jesus came in the flesh, this promise is fulfilled. And as he walked blamelessly, you know, in this life, in this ministry, in his ministry here on this earth, he actually redeemed person after person. He called them by name. He drew them to himself and he said, follow me. Merry Christmas. The Lord has given you an awesome gift to be able to be redeemed to himself. And I hope that you really understand the gravity of this because we're unworthy of this love, you know. But God, in his compassion for us, he says, I forgive you. Just follow me. You know, and so this is the message that I want you guys to really understand is we have every reason to follow him because it's so much better than what we're looking for out there. It's so much fulfilling, you know. It's satisfying. It's a place that's peaceful. It's a refuge in times of turmoil. You know, this is our Lord Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. You've received an awesome gift in Jesus Christ. You know, the next thing I want to share with you is just this passage and how he calls us, you know. He says, follow me. If you look at verse 6 here in Isaiah 54, it says, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. He's called you via the message of the gospel. He's called you by Jesus himself. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, By the power of God who saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Man, this is truly undeserved, and yet he has redeemed us to himself. And the final thing that I want to share with you is God's love is eternal. Let's go um, to verse 10. And, you know, he says he's going to have everlasting love, to, uh, you know, for us throughout this whole passage. But in verse 10, he says, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. These are symbols of permanency. These are things that don't go anywhere, right? Like I find my way around Tucson by the mountains sometimes because I know that those don't move. I get I get confused on where I am, and so when I look up, oh, that's north. You know, I can tell you right away because the mountains are right there. It's a symbol of something foundational, something permanent. So the mountains made the party, says even that may change. Even the hills may be removed, and we've seen now that hills can be removed, right? Got some pretty awesome equipment that can do that. But it says this, but the, the, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. This steadfast love is eternal. It's everlasting. And then he says, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Covenant of peace. What is this covenant of peace? Let me take you to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34 actually talks about this. And now the covenant of peace, if we remember our sermon on peace, his name is Prince of Peace, right? Who is Jesus Christ? What an awesome gift you have in Christ Jesus. And this covenant of peace that Ezekiel talks about is in regards to Jesus. It says, I will make with them a covenant of peace 
and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. This is a symbol of peace right here, of knowing that the Lord is our fortress, our refuge. 26, and I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their seasons. They shall be showers of blessing. In other words, the Lord will meet our needs. He will fulfill our, our, our needs. And when we need them, he will be our provider. He will meet our provision. It says in 27, And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. This talking to, about sin. He's taking that away from us and delivering them from the hand of those who enslaved them. Then shall no more be prayed. They, they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, which is the word of the Lord, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, with them. That I am what? I am the Lord, their God, with them. I am the Lord, Emmanuel. This is the promise from Ezekiel. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. God, this is the covenant of peace, and this covenant of peace can only be found through Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, you have an awesome gift in Jesus Christ. Do you see this? Do you see the love of God through Christ? And this is the words from Isaiah, and, and I just have a final take, uh, final, just a couple takeaways for you. And then I have a little bonus that I want to share with you. Something that the Lord showed me. And I just want to share it with you because I, I kind of looked to see, is there any correlation here? Because I'm seeing this, man, I flipped pages of different studies and commentaries and no one correlated. So I'm just telling you, this is just what the Lord showed me. Okay. But I, I want to share a couple takeaways before I get there. First, Jesus is absolutely is your hope. He's your peace. Right? Jesus is your source of joy and your love. There's no doubt about it. Know that. Jesus is love. Takeaway number one, justice is an act of love. Christ has justified you. I, I pray that the Lord has justified you. And so when you see the world falling apart and you're thinking, Lord, why are you being so mean? No, he's probably just expressing his love for you. You know, but you can rest assured and have the peace that you've been justified in Jesus Christ. Justice is an act of love. The second takeaway I want to share with you, and kids, we need to learn this now. We need to be compassionate because God has compassion on you. So what does this look like? Let's look at Ephesians 4, 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. Let's be compassionate, and this is how we can do it. Because God was compassionate with us, because God forgave us. Amen? Now, let me show you the little bonus that the Lord shared with me. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 1. 
verse 18, we see the birth of Jesus Christ. And one of the main characters in this section is Mary, okay? I want you to just think of Mary. Think a little bit more of how she would have felt like in this situation. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, now betrothal is much more than an engagement in this time. It's almost like a pre-marriage. You have to go through a divorce to not be engaged anymore, but it's not officially the wedding yet. You're not actually married yet. And so she's betrothed to go to Joseph. And before they came together, before they were married, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is a potential problem. If you're a young woman in Israel, you're not quite married yet, and you're pregnant, how do you think this feels? Obviously, the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary, and so she's at peace with this, right? But people may not understand. In fact, Joseph didn't understand this. And so Joseph already thought, this isn't going to work. Let's keep reading. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, an unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, do not be afraid. It sounds like these promises, you know, that we see in Isaiah there. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And so there's a picture of redemption here. Because Joseph had already decided, I can't be with her. There's too much shame in this. In that culture, there was a shame that came from that. It was like an act of infidelity. It's like that adulterous wife that we just read about. And so he conspired to divorce her. And he wanted to do it in the most loving way. And so he's going to do it secretly. And so that puts Mary in shame. And that puts Joseph in shame. All right. <laughs> But the Spirit of the Lord comes to him and he, and he takes her. He redeems her. He becomes her, her, her kingsman redeemer at the time. Now let's go back to that passage in Isaiah chapter 54. I'm going to reread it this time. And this time think of Mary. Okay? And think of what the Lord does. And sometimes we can identify in these kind of things because we wonder, Lord, where are you in my circumstance? Where are you in my life? Why have you called me to follow you and to work your will, Lord Jesus? Where are you? Now listen to this. As Mary, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. And God of the whole earth, is he is called for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she's cast off, says your God. 
For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Isn't that beautiful? It hit me when I saw that. I thought, wow. So this is the way the Lord works. Sometimes we have, I think, reason to wonder, like, God, have you deserted me? Have you forgotten me? No. With everlasting love, he redeems us. With everlasting love, his, his compassion is just poured over us. And so when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's amazing. You know, how beautiful is that? And I think that's a good reminder for us that the Lord is constantly working. He does not forget those whom he's redeemed. Because when we're redeemed, when we're saved, when we're brought to him, he is our kingsman redeemer, and nothing takes us away from him. Amen? And so... I just want to say one last time, Merry Christmas. You've received a great gift in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the love that you express to us, Lord, and justice and your compassion, Lord. Thank you for your redeeming love you've just expressed to us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that it will be forever. It is forever. Lord, just, I just ask that you would help us not forget this. You would help us not forget your promises, Lord Jesus, that are found in your birth and your ministry and your death and in your resurrection. Help us, Lord Jesus, really have that heart of worship, Father, that acknowledges you for who you are, the majesty, Lord Jesus, that is found in you. Help us love the way that you love us. Help us forgive the way that you forgive us. And help us shine bright, Lord Jesus, the way that you do. And thank you, Father, for the beautiful gift that you are to us. That you coming here as a man, that you taking on this flesh, Lord Jesus, that you did. Lord, you were able to have a whole new level of compassion for us. And we know, according to the book of Hebrews, that you sympathize with us because you know what it's like to be us. And yet you expressed your love to us that while we were still yet sinners, you said, I'll die for you. And Lord, we just do not take that for granted. Truly, there is no greater love than that. So, Lord, we love you. We love you, too. And we ask you, Father, to continually forgive us, to continually set us apart for your glory, Lord Jesus. In this Christmas season, I ask that we would be able to reflect that love to those around us, that there would be reconciliation where there needs to be reconciliation, that there would be redemption, restoration, Lord Jesus, that there would be just love all around us, Father. Your perfect and holy love, Lord Jesus, may be expressed in our lives each and every day. We love you. We praise you. We give you all honor, glory, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.